You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Good morning, church family. Good morning. There we go. It's early service on a holiday week. But you're here. I'm glad you're here. I'm so thankful that you're here. I'm glad I'm here. Uh, our family got hit with, um, with some sickness this week, and I did not know if I was going to make it here. But by God's grace, here I am, and I'm thankful to be here as we wrap up 1 Corinthians. I wanted, do want to let you know, though, next week we begin the season of Advent. So just based upon proper decorum and order in the life of godly people, you can start decorating for Christmas on Friday of this week. <laughs> On Friday, you can do that. So you, um, you'll, you'll come in here next week, and this place will be uh, festive. It will be decorated for Advent, and we will kick off our Advent sermon series, which I'm really excited about. We're, we're, um, we're going to look at kind of different characters of Christmas um, starting next week and how God used these different people, real people, real everyday people, in the promise of the coming of Christ, the incarnation of Christ. And so we'll, we'll look at that. We'll look at Zechariah and Elizabeth. We'll look at uh, Mary and Joseph. We're going to look at um, Anna and Simeon. And we'll look at, uh, at Herod and the wise men. And so we're going to just kind of walk through the Christmas story in that way. Really excited about that. That kicks off next week. I want to encourage you to even invite somebody. Think maybe someone in your life that you can invite into Redeemer, into our church family during the season of Advent. And so that will start next week. Um, First, though, we need to finish our study of 1 Corinthians. Uh, we have been walking through the, the letter of 1 Corinthians for 30 weeks. Can you believe that? 30 weeks we've been walking through this incredible, incredible letter. And in this letter, the Apostle Paul has been addressing uh, many different issues that were, uh, that were taking place in the first century church in Corinth. This was a young church, and we've looked at many of their issues he, that Paul addressed those. He's addressed issues like divisions in the church and arrogance uh, with people in the church that was causing conflict, um, sexual sin, lawsuits, disorder in worship, prophecy in tongues, and head coverings. And we've walked through many of these things over the last 30 weeks, and we've seen that God's word has, is, is working amongst us and even in our midst to bring renovation into our own life and into our own church family. We've seen that Paul has answered many of their questions, questions about idolatry, and we've talked about uh, idolatry in our current culture, and Paul addressed uh, how do they deal with food offered to idols and those sorts of things. He talked about singleness and the high and holy call of singleness. We looked at that. And marriage and, and the great honor of marriage and the gift of sex that God's given to marriage. We've talked about that. Uh, Paul reminded, reminded us of the importance of spiritual gifts in the church. Paul has talked about essential truths that the church is one body with many members. He reminded us of the greatness of love in chapter 13. And then finally in chapter 15, we looked at the glory of of resurrection. And today we come to Paul's final instructions. And I don't know about you, but oftentimes in my own Bible reading, sometimes these kind of final instructions or these final words, especially in a New Testament letter, it can be easy just to skip over them. But how many of you can testify to the importance of paying attention to final instructions, especially, especially, you know, a man, if you're married and you're heading to HEB and your wife is like, hey, don't forget the fill in the blank. And then you come home and you show up and you're like, hey, where's the milk? Ah, 
oh, I should have paid attention to the final, I'll be right back, you know, if you had those moments. And, and final instructions are important. And what Paul's going to do, he's going to, I really want to point out three things in these final instructions that in many ways reiterate the theme of this entire letter that we've looked at. And what they do is they show us the path to fruitfulness in the Christian life. So if you're taking notes, that's what you can pay attention to. We're going to see three things that Paul is really reiterating to this church, and, even, and God's word is reiterating to us. If we want to stay faithful, if we want to be fruitful as an ordinary, everyday church, these three things are important. So let me pray for us, and then we will get back into the text. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for the privilege of gathering with your church week by week. And we say to you, Father, that we are not here because we are a perfect people. We're not here because we are a worthy people. We are imperfect and we are unworthy, but we are here because your son is our perfect savior, because you are worthy of all of our worship. And we pray that as we open your word now, you would speak to us. We want to just say to you, God, we want you here this morning in this space. We need you here. We want to hear from you. Would you speak to each one of us in a unique way by your spirit through your word? And would Jesus Christ be honored and glorified in this time? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Three things that reiterate the theme of the whole book and that point us to the fruitful Christian life. Number one, the first thing that Paul does is that he mentions... Apollos, and this is in verse 12. We didn't, Catherine didn't read this for us, but you can look back there in your Bible in verse 12. Paul circles back to Apollos. You remember this from chapter one? He brings Apollos up in chapter one that the church in Corinth is divided. There is significant division. If, if the church is a house, to stick with our metaphor, there's a massive crack in the foundation. The church is divided, and they're divided around leaders. So Paul is the one who planted the church in Corinth, and he had a team of people that helped him as he planted the church in Corinth. But Apollos was a leader that Paul had sent in after he had left and gone to, to Ephesus. We read about this in Acts chapter 18, and Apollos comes in. Paul sends him there to keep teaching and to help lead the church in Corinth, this young church plant. But one thing about Apollos that we know from Acts chapter 18, verse 24, is that Apollos was a very gifted speaker and communicator. And so the church kind of gets divided. Some of them are like, I like Apollos better. I follow him. He's the one I subscribe to. And others are like, well, no, I think we should probably listen to Paul. And some of them are like, well, maybe we'll follow Peter. And Paul is reminding them here that Apollos and Paul are on the same team. Look back at verse 12. Paul says, now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not his will to come now, but he will come when he has the opportunity. He wants them to know that he and Paul, are, that Paul and Apollos are, are united, that they're on the same team, that they are brothers, that they're working together as God's servant of one gospel. And this is a small reminder to us of the big truth that Paul unpacked in chapters one through three, and that is the significance of unity in the local church. In other words, if a church is going to stay faithful, if a church is going to be fruitful in the gospel, unity is of utmost importance. We can't get divided. We can't get divided around secondary issues. We can't get divided around leaders and personalities. The church is not built, the church is not ever to be built around one personality. That's why I'm so thankful to God for 
the gift of a plurality of leadership that we have here at Redeemer because the church isn't meant to be built around the personality of one leader. The church is built around Jesus Christ. He is our, the head of the church. He's the senior pastor of the church. And God gives different leaders at different times to serve the church and strengthen the church and build up the church. But the church isn't built around one person. And Paul reminds them of, the, of this here that our unity is essential. If the church is going to bear fruit, if it's going to be faithful, we must value unity and we must work to maintain unity. And I just want to just say here, I think this is a good time just to mention this. By God's grace, for 11 plus years, this church, Redeemer, this church, it has been such a unified church. Praise God. Like we've never had the moment where the church is like uh, splintering. Or there's this threat of disunity or, you know, a leader or a person or a group of people being pitted against the other or someone going rogue. By God's grace, this church has been so unified. And I think it's why our church has been so fruitful and and healthy. And if we're going to stay fruitful and faithful to Jesus, we must fight to maintain the unity that the Spirit gives. I think back to even during COVID. I mean, golly, how in the world do you keep people unified during COVID? I'm trying to figure out how to like keep my family unified, you know, like how not to like get disowned by my parents, you know, stuff like that. And, and, but yet by God's grace, even during those few years of COVID and all of the complications, the Lord kept us in unity and it wasn't easy, but he kept us in unity. And if we're going to stay faithful and fruitful in the years ahead, this is essential. And so I think Paul circles back here to Apollos and his final instructions just to remind them of the unity that is essential. And he says, Apollos is going to show up. And when Apollos shows up, he's going to say the same things that I've been telling you. And so we're unified in the gospel. The second thing that Paul does here in his closing is he commends to the Corinthians the kinds of leaders that they are to follow. In other words, he gives them the kind of example So if you want to be faithful and you want to be fruitful in the Christian life, you need to make sure that your life is modeling and following the right kinds of people. Look back at verses 15 through 18. Paul says, now I urge you, brothers, be brothers and sisters. He's speaking to the whole church here. I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanas were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus. By the way, I read this and I thought, man, are these guys like from New Jersey? Are these like mobsters from <laughs> Stephanus and Fortunatus? You know, it's just, it's, it's impossible to read their names and not uh, read it that way for me anyway. Um, anywho, um, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and uh, Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence. So these are likely the ones who brought the Corinthian letter to Paul and who then returned back to Corinth where they lived with Paul's letter to the Corinthians. He says in verse 18, give recognition to such people. He commends to them Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus. Stephanus and his household, Paul says, were the first to come to faith in the entire area. Think about that. Think about the gospel in the, in the, in the first century as the gospel is t- breaking, uh, breaking ground in the, in the world. And the good news about Jesus is going out and people's lives are being literally changed and transformed. And it's now moving into a new region toward uh, Greece. And these are the first people that Jesus saves. It's a pretty incredible thought, isn't it? You wouldn't even know their name if Paul hadn't written them here in the end of this letter. Faithful 
ordinary people, first to come to faith. They've lived their lives devoted to Jesus, loving him and living for him in everyday ordinary ways, taking time off work to take a letter and bring a letter back for the sake of the church, building up the church. Paul says in verse 16, be subject to these and to every fellow worker and labor. He's saying, these are the kinds of people that you ought to be learning from and listening to. These kinds of faithful Christians model your life after such as these. I love verse 19. Look back at verse 19. He sends greetings from Aquila and Prisca together with the church in their house. This is Aquila and Priscilla. He says Aquila and Prisca here. That'd be like if someone's name is Danielle and and you call him Danny. Aquila and Prisca. He uses a nickname for her. She was well known. Aquila and Priscilla were well known. Um, They were core team members of the church in Corinth. You can go back to Acts chapter 8 and read about this. I mean, they were like our James and Rhonda Reeves. Like core team members, then the church, uh, this local church, Redeemer Round Rock, started in their home. Faithful, so faithful. Business owners, small business owners who are leveraging their life for the gospel, ordinary people. And he sends greetings from them. They were tent makers, small business owners. Acts chapter 18 tells us that when they were in Corinth, they were the ones that welcomed Apollos. And they began to disciple Apollos. Apollos was very gifted. He was a gifted speaker, but he was an immature believer. And so they take him in and they disciple him. They are spiritual parents. They're hosting the church. They're model disciples in the church. They're spiritual parents to those who are young in the faith. And now we know that being a part of one church plant wasn't enough for them, but they've uprooted and they've moved with Paul to Ephesus and they've started their business over and they've bought a new home. And guess what they're doing? The same thing all over again, hosting the church in their home, sending greetings to their brothers and sisters in Corinth. Do you see what Paul is doing here? He's saying these are the kinds of people that you need to model your life after, ordinary, everyday people who are quietly leveraging their life for the gospel in every way. They are the models for you. And I want to ask you this morning to consider something for us for a moment, maybe something that you haven't thought about. And it's, it's this, who are you modeling your life after? Because I promise you someone, you're modeling your life after someone. There's some image, there's some idea, there's someone that you admire. Maybe it's someone who does what you do for a living and they're kind of the model for who you want to be in the future. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's an Instagram influencer, I hope not. I hope that's not who it is. Who are you modeling your life after? What's the picture of fruitfulness that you are aspiring to? Is it to be wealthy and affluent? Is it to be successful and impressive by the world's standards? You see, this is what the Corinthians were doing. They had given their ear to the influencers of their day, to the philosophers of their day, and it had gotten them off track. (laughs) It had gotten them to become a divided, unfruitful church, and Paul is pushing reset for them here. He's saying, listen, make sure that you're listening to and you're learning from and you're modeling your life after the everyday, ordinary, faithful saints who would be embarrassed that I even mentioned their name, but they need to be held up as model examples and model disciples. And again, listen, by the grace of God, we have so many of these kinds of people here in this church. We have so many of them, people who serve and disciple quietly and faithfully, people who give generously and pray 
diligently. People who were praying for me this week. I got text messages this week from people that I didn't even know knew I was sick saying, I'm praying for you, brother. I hope that you feel better. I'm praying that you're able to preach on Sunday. I'm like, how do you even know I'm sick? What's going on? Stalking me? What's going on here? Faithful people who love and who pray. This church is full of people who have, over the years, opened their home to serve and to host, to let people live with them when they were in trouble, to host gospel communities and let your children ruin their carpet and their couches. And all of these people have not done any of these things for status. They've done it quietly. They haven't done it for a title. They haven't done it for cool points. They've done it because they love Jesus and they love his church and his gospel. And I think there are probably some of you who are here this morning that just need to know that there are a lot of those kinds of people in this church. I even thought about listing names, but I didn't do it because I didn't want to embarrass people. And some of you might be here and you might be thinking, I need a new model. Like, I need a new example. I need the example of what, a, of what a, a, a wife, godly wife looks like, or a faithful Christian single looks like, or a godly husband, or a business owner. I need that picture. I need that example. I need a new model. I need to put, push unsubscribe from the social media influencers. And I need the ordinary, quiet, faithful people of God to show me how to be a man or a woman or a young adult who's maturing and growing in faith. And if, if you need a new model, you need a mentor, someone to disciple you, I, I just encourage you, reach out to me. I promise I can connect you to dozens of people in this church that could be that for you. And so Paul says, he says, stay in unity, listen and follow the right kinds of people if you wanna be faithful and fruitful as a church in the Christian life. And then third and most importantly, Paul exhorts them with a final charge. We find it in verse 13 and 14. And boy, what a charge it is. This is really the heart of Paul's hope for the Corinthian church. Think about this. For 15 chapters, Paul's been correcting errors and speaking hard truths and love and clarifying and reteaching, hoping that it will bring about renovation and lead to repentance. Paul is hopeful that they've gotten the message and he's ready to sign off like a coach right before game time. He's ready to sign off. He's, they've, you know, here's the game plan. They've been working on it all week long. And it's the final word before they run out of the tunnel. You know, like, I think about it like this. Like my parents, when they dropped me off for college, 18 years of parenting, there I am standing in the parking lot of Clement Hall. My dad has one final word for me. He says, son, I love you. Now don't be an idiot. The final charge. Here it is, verse 13. Paul says, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And let all that you do be done in love. Boy, should we write that on our bathroom mirror? Should we memorize that? Should we tattoo that even on our forearm? A final exhortation for the Christian life that applies to all of us, whether you're a student who's headed off to college, a man or a woman 
working at Dell or IBM, a young mom making breakfast before taking the kids to the park, a first responder, a nurse, a teacher, a grandparent. If you're going to live faithfully for Jesus and bear fruit in this world, a world that is actively working against you, a world that is full of messages that oppose the truth of the gospel, a world where you have temptation uh, at your fingertips to buy things you don't need, look at things you shouldn't look at, go places you shouldn't go, know things you shouldn't know. If you're going to be faithful and fruitful in, as you follow Jesus, this is a word that we need. Let's parse it a bit. First, Paul says, be watchful. What is he saying? He's saying, be alert, be on your guard. He's saying, stay awake. It's the same concept of like when we teach kids, when we're coaching baseball and we teach kids and kids are out in the field, you know, and, and a, a, few, a, a few plays have gone by and it's when you, you know, you say something to them like, hey, expect the baseball, stay ready, expect the baseball. Or if you're coaching football, keep your head on a swivel, like pay attention, don't, don't fall asleep in the middle of the game. Stay awake, stay alert. Don't get on autopilot in the Christian life. God's word is speaking to us, isn't it? Don't go on autopilot in the Christian life. Listen, there is too much foolishness in this world that will sweep you away if you do. There is a real enemy who is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The Bible doesn't speak in hyperbole. That's truth. You have a real enemy. This is, comes from 1 Peter. He also says in 1 Peter that, they, that, this, that sin, just the sinfulness, temptation in the world, he says is waging war against your soul. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13. Active. Don't go on autopilot. Stay awake. There are real temptations that will most certainly become strongholds in your life if you are not actively fighting sin and resisting temptation and confessing and repenting in Christian accountability. Listen, I have watched this happen too many times in my pastoral ministry. Too many times. People who were once walking closely with Jesus, over time, they lose watch on their life and doctrine. They fall asleep. They go on autopilot. They just start going through the motions. And next thing you know, they've drifted away. They've fallen away. I've seen people who were once leaders in the church, now far from Christ, even divorced and disconnected from their families. Why? Did it happen in an instant? No, they fell asleep. They didn't stay watchful. It's also a call not just to stay awake and alert, to sin, to our life, and to our doctrine. But it's a call here. It's, there's two sides to the coin on this. Paul says at the end, he says, uh, he says, Maranatha, at the very end of this letter. He says, come, Lord. It's also a call to stay awake to Jesus. Not just to stay awake to sin, but to stay awake to Jesus, to listen to him and look for him and to be watchful for him, stay awake to him. It's a call to believe that he is most certainly with us by his spirit in every moment. He is there wanting to speak to us every day, to lead us, ready to work through us and among us. Are we awake? Are we awake? Be watchful, Paul says. And then he says, stand firm. Stand firm in the faith. When Paul uses the word the faith, it's shorthand for the message. The gospel message is what he's saying. Stand firm. This is a, a military term that Paul is using. He's saying, hold your ground in the gospel. 
In other words, there's three ways that you could be a Christian in the world. You could be a cowardly Christian or a covert Christian, kind of an undercover Christian. And uh, you don't talk about your faith. People that you work with don't, know you, even, don't even know you're a Christian. Your life is maybe not very distinct. You just kind of blend in. This is what the Corinthians had done. You also can be a confrontational Christian. <laughs> you could be, in other words, you could be a Christian that's a jerk, right? Like you, you're just, you're confrontational and everything about you is confrontational. What Paul is calling us here is to, to a, a different way. He's calling us to confident Christianity, to be a confident and Christ Christian, always. He's saying, stand firm in the gospel. Be confident. Hold your ground in the gospel. Confident in God. Confident in the promises of the gospel. Don't retreat. Don't cower. And I want to encourage you, Redeemer family, um, you cannot stand firm in your faith if you are not actively growing in your faith. In other words, you're either growing in the gospel or you're atrophying in the gospel. You're weakening in the gospel. There's no middle ground. And I think this is the mess the Corinthians had gotten into. They just kind of started existing. They fell asleep. They quit growing. And so there are spaces and environments here in this church. This gathering is one of them. But another one that is even more important for this is our gospel communities and our equip classes that we're doing. We don't do those just because... um, just because there's nothing else to do. We do those because those are spaces and environments that help us keep growing, that remind us over and over again of the truth of who God is, that equip us for every good work, that keep us in Christian community with other people that we meet with week by week who point us to the truth and call us out when we're walking in unbelief, who love us and serve us and who are the hands and feet of Jesus to us. And so he says, stand firm in the gospel. Don't be cowardly. Don't uh, don't lose your ground, stand firm, grow. And then he says, act like men. Act like men, be strong. What does this mean? Is he saying that you should crank some country music and go get yourself a four-wheel drive? Yeah. Start pumping iron? I mean, is, what Paul, is this what Paul is saying? What is he saying? No, it's not what he's saying. Of course it's not. What this is, is it's a call to maturity. Paul's saying, grow up. He's saying, be strong. In other words, it, the opposite of this would be if he's, he's saying, it would be to act like a child. He's saying, don't be childish. Grow up in the faith. This is what the Corinthians needed. They really needed to grow up in the faith and stop being childish. I see a church that is fruitful and faithful is a church that is full of mature faith and gospel courage. When he says be strong, that's what he's meaning. Be courageous. It's full of faith, mature faith, and gospel courage. I want to ask you something. I want you to think in your life right now. All of you have something that would answer this question. I want you to think of something in your life right now where you need greater faith. What is that for you? Something in your life where you need greater faith. Something, something in your life where you need to step forward with courage. Courage that comes from God. What is that for you? Really identify that. Locate that in your mind. For a moment. Now I want you to imagine yourself rather than doubting, doubting that that thing could ever be true for you or that God would provide for you, whatever it is, rather than doubting that or 
rather than running from that thing, whatever it might be, where you need faith, you need greater faith, and you need greater courage. Instead, imagine yourself stepping into it, believing the promises of God, stepping into that thing with the courage that you don't have on your own, but with the courage that God supplies to you by the power of his spirit, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. Wow, that's different, isn't it? This is what Paul is saying here. Be strong. Be mature in faith. In gospel courage. This is what he's calling us to. And then finally, he says, let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. You know, you can muster up fleshly courage and you can beat your chest and try and act strong and you can read theology books so that you are rooted in your faith. But if you do not love, what did Paul say in chapter 13? You have nothing. You have nothing. It's love that motivates everything in the Christian life. It is love that bears all fruit in the Christian life. And not that we have first loved God, right? Isn't that what 1 John says? Not that we have first loved God, but that God has first loved God. Us. This is the motivator in the Christian life, the, love, the great love of God for you and for me. I was teaching last Sunday afternoon at our parenting equip class, and I shared with the group that one of the things that we must be doing as parents is regularly telling our children that there is nothing that they can ever say, there's nothing that they could ever do that would change our love for them. You need to regularly be telling your kids that. There's nothing you could ever say, son. There's nothing you could ever do, son, that would change my love for you. They need to hear that because it's starting to teach them how God, their heavenly father, truly loves them. And it's very different than the way that love is given in this world. We need to say that as parents because we need to remember how God truly loves us. We need to practice that by telling our children that, that God's love is unwavering. Do you believe that? that his love for you is unwavering, that it is not fickle, that it will not fade? Do you believe that God's love for you is unforced? Do you believe that? He loves you freely because he loves to love you. That's an incredible thought. Paul is reinforcing love, which ought to stitch everything together in the Christian life, and he's reinforcing that our love that we give, that we live with, is rooted and motivated in God's love for us. I love how he ends the letter, verses 23 and 24. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. I want you to think about this. What is Paul saying? Despite all the mess, and boy was their mess, Despite it all, like the loss, like they were suing each other. Remember this? The lawsuits. The rich were suing the poor in this church. Despite all the sexual sin, there was a family in the church in incest. Do you remember this? Despite all the mess, the divisions, the perversion of the Lord's Supper, the chaos in worship, the self-centeredness in the church, despite all the trouble that they've caused for Paul, who's trying to pastor and plant another church in Ephesus, and he's having to come back over here, despite all of the mess and the chaos, Paul says here, he says, I love you because Jesus loves you. His love for you hasn't wavered. And I think about all the mess that's probably really in this room too. You know, the stuff that 
We don't want to talk about the stuff that we're pretty good at hiding. Like if we were honest, you know, the, the, the argument on the way here, the selfishness, the spending, the addictions, the secret sin. And Paul says, you are loved. Despite all of that, despite the mess, there is grace for you, Paul says. You can turn from those things because God has made a way in Jesus for forgiveness and for redemption. You are loved. You really are. It's not even forced. God doesn't just tolerate you because he, Jesus died for you. He loves you. He loves you. You see, when we get God's love for us, God's love for us despite us, then we are truly ready to love other people then all that we do can truly be done in love. I want you to know this is the most fruitful Christian life, a life rooted in the gospel, a life firm in faith, a life that's maturing, that is strong, that is courageous because it is rooted in God's great love. This is the most fruitful Christian life. Then the chores that we do every day around the house, we don't have to do in bitterness, but we can do them as a servant because Jesus has served us. Or those people in the office that we would typically avoid because they're annoying. We don't avoid them, but we can pursue them in love because God has pursued us in love. Do you see this? Those people that aren't like us, that think differently than us or vote differently than us or look differently than us, we don't, we don't judge them, but we welcome them in our life and welcome them at, at our table. Why? Because God has welcomed us. Do you see what Paul is doing here in this final exhortation? Do you see why I said we need to memorize this charge? We need to tattoo it on our forearm, write it on our bathroom mirror, because this is the charge to go and live a faithful and fruitful Christian life that is available to you. This is really available to you. I, I, there are too many Christians who settle into a fruitless Christian life. They settle into a fruitless Christian life. And let it not be so with us. I, I think this is probably the final bit of renovation that God wants to do through 1 Corinthians as we finish this up. I mean, Jesus didn't lie. Jesus wasn't lying when he said that he came to give us life and life abundantly. He didn't lie when he said the spirit of God among us will produce fruit. Real fruit, love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and self-control. Paul didn't lie when he said to live as Christ and to die as gain. This is what he's talking about when he says to live as Christ, a life that is not on autopilot, just going through the motions, but a life that is awake to Jesus, rooted in faith, maturing and strong and rich in love. This life is available to you. I think that this is perhaps what God wants to do as we close this study, to speak to us in unique and different ways through this final charge. Maybe some of you calling you to greater faith this morning, calling you to greater courage, maybe to nudge us who have fallen asleep in the Christian life, to wake us up, to root us anew and afresh in his love. I wanna give you a moment just to kind of make some space right where you are as we close to reflect. I wanna ask you to reflect and just to consider for a moment what God might be saying to you this morning. Maybe you wanna look back at verse 13 and 14. Look back at this final charge. Just reflect for a moment. What is God saying to you today? And then I'll close this in prayer. 
Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.